aspire to deploy a deep probe into the mysteries of the Crucible, discussing lore, rules, strategies, decks, organized play, and of course, the Nordic Keyforge League. This week, join our battle fleet as we discuss the opposition research and the deck selection strategies needed to reach advantage in the Nordic Keyforge League. This is the Nordic Keyforge Podcast. <laughs> oh yes <laughs> right <laughs> that was an introduction wasn't it yes uh, hello and welcome everyone to the nordic keyforge podcast i am Jonas, also known as hydrophilic attack uh, and i am linus known as mr k-pop and today jason couldn't join but for the first time we can introduce our fourth podcast host i'm very pleased to introduce the man the legend of the swindle and K- KFPL, Simon Saramis. Welcome. Yay! Thank you, thank you. It's great to be able to join you here for the Nordic Keyforge podcast. An honor to be here as a part of the hosts, and uh, it's going to be great. Simon, can you, or do you prefer Simon? Simon? Simon works well. Simon, can you tell us a bit about yourself as a player? Well, what's, what is special about you as a player? And also, which is your favorite house? All right. Well, um, as a player, I'm known to be uh, quite analytical. Uh, some of the my regular sparring partners uh, uh, always say that I count cards and uh, try to figure out the maths behind uh, the plays a lot more than they do. I like trying to uh, keep track of what the opponent has in their hand, depending on what they have played. Uh, yeah, I like the mathematical approach uh, to the game. Uh, I like playing control decks and uh, a generally unfun experience as long as it is a, as long as it isn't combo or heart of the forest. That sounds exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> you need you need the kind of analytical mindset for that, I guess, to do it as well as you can. I mean, I don't know the any other alternative to playing that way, so I don't know if if it would be less exhausting to do it any other way. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I play more with the gut, and it seems to flow quite well, and that's not that exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> but that's perfect because we are all different in our uh, Keyforge community, and it's fun to meet the analytical people and try to beat them in their own game. <laughs> Yeah, my favorite house. Uh, well, this is a complicated issue because Ooh. I'm very hipster, so I like things that people, the other people don't like, but I also like the playstyle of House Dis. So I wish House Dis was a little worse at the game, so I could like them with good conscience. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you will be the hipster on this podcast because no one yes. said this so far. Okay, then I, then I say this. We have All two right. logos and two Star Alliance. So we'll, you're the first uh, first person to say this. Oh, disgusting. Efficiency <laughs> players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So it's very good to have you on with your analytical mindset. And especially for the topic of today's podcast. Uh, so, you know, for next season of the Nordic Keyforge League, we will have a lot of new players coming in. And we thought it would be a good idea to discuss the strategies and thinking behind choosing a lineup for the league. Um, so the league has a very special format. Uh, each player has six decks. And in each match, uh, each player begins by banning one of the opponent's decks. Then they uh, protect one deck from a ban, and then you uh, ban a second deck. And then you have four decks remaining, of which you will play three of them. So you play three games with three out of your four remaining decks. And then the, the results of the game is the result of the match. Um, so, uh, yeah, this episode will be about how to think to make a good lineup of decks for this format. Going to be great. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. So I will start... Uh, going around the table and ask you in general terms what do you think makes for a good strong deck lineup for the league linus if you want to start uh, honestly if i if i think uh, <laughs> if i think about uh, the selection that i had this time because we we um, we usually had several seasons we had some sort of restrictions in uh, in um, 
in the league uh, and that al already gave kind of limited my options to select decks but now for example this last season we we were without restrictions and that kind of gave the chance for us to really you know optimize our um, lineup but the thing thing is that what happened to me <laughs> was that i i had just i had bought a lot of displays vz displays and uh, mm displays vc for war collide and mm for mass mutation uh, for, from sale uh, and i was opening those and checking through those decks and i kind of didn't have the time to really um, try them out but i just i don't know i just felt like i oh, new fresh stuff ah, i want to play this this looks good <laughs> so i put them on my line lineup so two of my decks the um, uh, astounding and then the ulruk uh, those two were uh, my th uh, decks that i just intuitively wanted to try and put them and they looked strong um, but i can see that <laughs> it was obviously those decks that i always needed to play as my uh, kind of in the in the game that was really crucial and i realized that i hadn't been practicing enough and i usually lost them this <laughs> this time so so it's kind of funny it's fascinating to see that uh when we talk about lineups um and especially now when we had the freedom to choose our decks like in in without limitations it seems like it's really important for us to simply uh, play decks that we feel comfortable so that's kind of like the the thing that i'm going to think about uh, next to next season i have already three decks that i really love and have been playing a lot so i kind of feel comfortable with them with them and then i have two more decks that i've been playing with outside the league so i'm going to bring them into my lineup so i have like the last one to my uh, last spot open to my next season so for me simple would be i i chose three decks based on I know these decks. I know their weaknesses and they know know their strength. And then two decks I just simply intuitively picked. I felt like I want to play something brand new, which looks strong. Um, and kind of that was the way I approached this season. So, so I guess the general point here is a strong lineup is a lineup where you know the decks well. Is that for me? That would be the point. Yes. Mm. I I wouldn't. I, as we mentioned here before, I'm not that. That analytical in the way, looking through lineups and recognizing, okay, should I have a theme or so? I I rather go with the decks that I like to play, and I know that that are good. That's that's more my my approach to my selection. So so I will comment here and say, I always try to play decks I know very well. So I went through before this episode to look at how many plays do I have with my decks on on uh, the crucible uh, and my least played deck had 78 games Ooh, uh, wow then i had a deck at 140 one at 210 one at 260 one at 570 and one at <laughs> 2500 yeah i know that one that <laughs> instant ban i don't want to play against that one <laughs> And it's so far away from from anything that I do uh, when I select decks. I am yeah. known uh, a little bit for going into the KFPL and picking two decks that I had never played for my triad <laughs> in that. And I've done similar things for uh, for the Nordic Keyforge League. I uh, picked a Dark Tidings deck that I had played two times just when I opened it. And it... Uh, it was before the SAS update, so I just had a good feeling about it and picked it. I've also picked other decks that I had a, have only had maybe three or four plays with at the most uh, in the earlier seasons. Uh, I pick decks a lot more on how they fit into my lineup and what I perceive as my weaknesses. So can uh, you tell can you tell us about this? What is your general approach for what you identify as a good lineup? like you say what fits in there and... yeah so in the nordic keyforge league uh the format means that we always end up with two decks uh, at the end and you generally have two of your three strongest decks banned if people have guessed correctly and so on so i usually plan my lineup a lot for the last two decks like i try to guess what decks will be remaining at the end and i want those decks to be able to handle a lot of different solutions or 
have very specific uh, uh, strategies of attack to use uh, against my opponents. Mm, I never want to be stuck with two decks that cannot handle a multitude of different situations. Uh, I was, I had that situation in my first season where I almost always ended up with decks that had very wide weaknesses and, uh, and could easily be countered as my last two, even if they were strong. In many matchups, they had very bad matchups as well, and so my opponents could often use that. So ever since then, I have picked lineups with my weakest two decks uh, receiving the most of my attention. Um, really interesting. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point to to try and have your two weakest decks should be able to handle a lot of different things. That's an interesting. That's a perspective I haven't considered, but that's that's interesting. Yeah, I I think that makes sense because I like if I look at look this if you like look through this season that where we play now, um, I always knew that they were only they they would always ban one of these or two of these three decks and those are the my favorite decks where I played a lot and it's always two of those will be banned so there's always those three last one that will be played so I kind of I I kind of know that will be pretty much the same thing most likely also to next season uh so i just maybe that's a good approach for me to think about those two last decks and and you know put me in a better position when it's really matters and i i really to get the win when it's one one i mean i i play a lot of games that end two one i either lose or win and the keys are always three two or two three <laughs> just like uh, Always really tight, so I, I'm never good with the key uh, difference when we look at uh, trying to win the game through that way. So another way to look at what you talked about here is you can say that you have certain decks that are sort of like band bait. You put them in and you know they will be banned. So you put them in just to be banned, and then you have other ones that you're actually planning to play with. Maybe it's not exactly what you said, but it's a bit similar maybe. So, well, the band baits are also the best decks, but yeah. I don't spend so much time analyzing what they are good at, and I don't practice those matchups oh. so much. Yeah, exactly. Uh, mm. So I have some band bait decks, which are maybe not necessarily my best decks, but I realize they are very annoying to play against. And I think that's part of... And also, I don't always ban the best deck. If I see a deck with three control a week or something like that, it may it's probably very good, but it may still not be the best one. And I may ban it just because that would be a a bad experience to play against. So yeah, so, that's that's what I do also. That is true. So I put in this season a lot of Infernus in my lineup just to. I know people don't like Infernus, so yeah. that I can play the decks I want to play when people ban Infernus decks. And it's not really that people are making the wrong decision; they are just making the decision that they think will give a better experience for them. So I'm not saying they went into a trap but just that uh, yeah for example our matchup was really interesting because uh, my like the way how you banned and the way how i kind of was put in a situation to ban uh like when i think about it my second ban wasn't the most opt uh, optimal but it was just because you had the three infernoses and i and you had left the hero you know stay up and i was like if that would happen that would be really bad for me because hero would not yeah, it would be quite hard to handle the three infernuses. So I just banned that way, even though I knew there were a couple other decks that I kind of wished I would have wanted to ban. And now afterwards, I kind of like, yeah, maybe I should have done that. <laughs> but that's yeah, that's that's the fun of this format, right? Yeah. Uh, this kind of uh, meta or this kind of mind games that we have, which happens already before the game in itself. And it's so much better than solo archon, where you just hope that you don't get a bad matchup or. Uh... Even like I enjoy the league format of the Nordic Keyforge League so much more than most of the competitive formats that I've played online. Uh, even if it takes a lot of time because you play three matches uh, against each opponent and you have a banning phase, yeah, the level of enjoyment is still so much higher. Yeah, yeah, agreed. So I would say for myself. What makes, other than the points we have raised about band bait and decks that you know, which I think is very important, um, one thing, there is an episode of the Bouncing Death Quark podcast where they talk about triad and they talk about choosing decks that are similar to each other. Uh, 
and if you are lucky, your opponent will not have every deck cannot counter this theme you have. So you make mm -hmm. a theme, and then you ban the decks that can beat the decks according to your theme. Uh, and that's something I have been doing quite successfully, especially earlier seasons when the meta hadn't fi figured out how to win on the board, so people didn't, in response, people didn't use board control. So I could get easy wins by decks that just built a huge board, and then and then they, my opponent couldn't do anything about it. So uh, yeah, I've been really impressed, uh, Jonas, of the way how you how you have uh, kind of read the game and analyzed in that sense, because I know you, you for example, you don't buy in the same way decks that I buy. I just I I buy a lot of decks, and you buy less decks, but you you kind of you you still manage to uh, keep up there, even though you have. Uh, less decks, so I think that's really impressive the way I have you shown, and that shows you, shows your uh, skills in this game, which is super super good. I think it mostly uh, shows how much time I've spent learning those decks. <laughs> yeah, that too, that too. But this reflects uh, on something that I've noticed. Uh, we didn't mention it when I introduced myself, but I, I play a lot in the international tournaments, and uh, quite a few formats can be summarized into what you said, Jonas, that. Uh, just pick several decks that are good at the same thing. And I, I think it's quite uh, boring. Um, like any format where that is always the best answer is a boring format, according to me. Uh, for example, the last KFPL qualifier, which is the Keyforge Premier League, uh, was that you had two decks and you banned one of your opponent's decks and they got to play the other. And that meant that if someone brought two really, really good rush decks, they just banned the one that was best at countering it. And uh, odds were that both of your decks were not equally good at countering that very specific strategy. And your best bet was to do the same. Any kind of diversity in your own lineup would be punished by anyone playing that kind of extreme, uh, extremely focused lineup. And that was just... Uh, like I, I found it... Uh, a terrible format if I'm not going to be <laughs> kind so uh, because it because it even like it made it even more about who had the best collection you couldn't outsmart someone and so on because if you had two decks at the absolute top level then you had a great advantage over someone who had only two really good decks at all but they weren't good at the same thing hmm. this was the latest uh, yes latest, yeah okay which so was... uh, I'm I'm curious uh, about this. Uh, I will move to a question now for you, Simon. You played in the in the uh, Premier League, as you said, and the format there when you played in season two was triad, right? Yes, correct. And uh, I think probably also in there you saw a lot of these lineups that were quite similar to each other. Is that is that was that your experience or not? No. Oh, uh... really? Okay. So could you I tell mean, us could you tell us about the experience of the decks the lineups you faced and how they compared to the Nordic Keyforge League? Uh, absolutely. In the season of KFPL that I played, season two, uh, I did find that some things were included in every lineup. For example, uh, I noticed that if people brought artifact control, they had it heavily in all three decks, uh, so they couldn't be uh, beaten by someone who had a three artifact deck lineup and so on but my general experience was that people had picked the best deck uh, in each set because you had to bring decks from three different sets yeah exactly. if you that, yeah. yeah it influenced that a lot because not only would you need to have three decks that are good at the same thing they would also need to be from the same set and good at the same thing if you were allowed to bring three kota decks for example which uh, call of the archons the first set then I think we would have seen more like single-minded uh, deck selections for the KFPL. Oh. It, it was kind of it was kind of advertised also as now we are going to play with the big boys, right? That yes. was kind of like the feeling already because I I was listening to other podcasts and they were like talking about it already and like now we're gonna see the biggest, the bestest, the bestest players and the best player and the best uh, decks. You know, clashing to each other. That's going to be so exciting. So that was. They encouraged borrowing as well. They basically yeah, exactly. told everyone borrow the best decks that you can find, yeah. and uh, and duke it out with them. 
How did you do? <laughs> I picked two decks that I hadn't played uh, a single game with. One of them, I just saw a link from my friend who just opened it and said, I'll take that one. <laughs> then, uh, <laughs> uh, then I borrowed Quinn from my teammate in Swindle, uh, Karen. Uh, it's a great deck of hers, um, which is a March and Generosity deck that is a, mm. does a lot of board presence, um, but no Genka. So it doesn't have the uh, key abduction part. And then I picked my own favorite uh, fun deck from Mass Mutation. Uh, I did not expect to win many games in the KFPL, so I just brought a 75 SAS board deck that I qualified with because I wanted to honor it by including the deck I, I had won a qualifier with. Was it a beautiful deck? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that was Car Keys. Beautiful deck. It, it, I feel like it's it has received a legendary status already in the swindle. <laughs> Everybody has, mentions has. that. Oh, if it, if it's seventy five SAS cap deck, oh no, car keys will approach or something <laughs> yes. like that. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's a deck with both a good name and a good record. Yeah, that's beautiful. That combination, I love it. So I'm kind of jealous that you have that. <laughs> Yeah, in a good, in a positive way. <laughs> and I should mention that I decided to bring a lineup that had no artifacts and uh, uh, also included no artifact control, essentially. Oh. I just decided to ignore the whole artifact meta because I thought that everyone would bring a lot of artifact control. So I primarily tried to bring decks that wouldn't have any wasteful cards, like no artifacts that would be countered by their artifact control. And also... Uh, Less importantly, no artifact control of my own because I wanted to focus just on pure board and speed. Um, yeah. So in so. some way you had a theme. You had a no artifact theme. Yes, I, that that was a, a conscious decision. Uh, yeah. Bringing no decks that relied on artifacts and car keys has zero artifacts, and Gaza Creed has a single one, and I wish it didn't because it's uh, the beanstalk artifact in oh, DC. Yeah. <laughs> You can count it as zero artifacts because yeah. it does nothing. <laughs> uh, so, uh, have you found that in the Nordic League, have you had a theme like that, like no artifacts in there, or have you? That, that no, you know? uh, in the Nordic Kiefer League, I've only uh, I've focused more on on the specific format and, and lineups that are good at that, and no. Mm. Because I don't have six decks that are uh, themed enough, but I have thought about bringing my six Ethan's Yar decks for next oh, season. Oh, wow! That <laughs> that could shake some things up in the uh, Elite Serian. Uh, oh, you have six. I only have three, <laughs> but none of those are really exciting. I have zero, so yeah. I have two <laughs> good ones, so it would be four pretty poor ones. <laughs> Okay, uh, we will yep. move on to another question. Uh, and I'm thinking about, uh, for each of you, do you take into account the meta when you design your lineup? And if so, how do you analyze the meta? Can you start, Linus? <laughs> I like you. how you just decide who's going to start. <laughs> Can you start, Linus? Well, if you <laughs> don't want... <laughs> uh, well... Is it okay to start? Yeah, uh, I'm gonna say Simon. You wanna you wanna try first? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, as the analytical player here, I can definitely start. Uh, I uh, often try to take the meta into account, particularly in the larger tournaments. I've had some good guesses and some bad ones. Um, in the Swedish uh, league, um, I have tried to be a little heavier on the board presence decks, because uh, at least in my earlier experiences, many people liked playing rush decks and many people liked, liked playing uh, yeah, decks that were like, a little too low on board control. Um, so yeah, I played a lot of uh, board uh, decks that uh, went with high speed 25 creatures, uh, a bit like uh, car keys. And I uh, did uh, very well with those, and that worked uh, even in uh, uh, Allsvenskan, as we call it, the next highest uh, division. It worked as well. Several of my decks, I think four out of six were board decks. 
Oh, it's gonna be so interesting to have you in Elitserial. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that approach does not work as well in Elitserial. I'm not no, sure. I have already decided a completely different one. Okay, <laughs> which you won't uh, tell us, of course, because that would be indeed, indeed. a bad idea. <laughs> okay, so Linus, are you ready to? Yeah, I mean, for me, I. The truth is that uh, at the moment I don't have the luxury of time in that sense that I could sit there and analyze and look through stuff. So I kind of need to go with the gut in that way. I, I probably would put some more time uh, and to analyze the meta, but I I kind of feel like the game can be also approached without doing that and still manage to do well if you just simply do le- uh, less errors than your opponent while you're playing the game. Obviously, I. Ha- especially in this Swedish league format, I see that I sometimes I should put more thought behind my bans and picks um, because I simply lose some games just because I put myself in a bad position of what decks are left and, uh, and, and those matchups are not in favor. Uh, because, uh, I mean, uh, Keyforge is really matchup heavy game. Uh, so there are like, this is really good deck, but this type could deck could beat that easily so so you need to be able to um, create that kind of lineup that has the you know few weak links that can can be abused uh, as we kind of mentioned before here when we're discussing so for me i i just because of my time limitation i go with decks that i feel comfortable with so i was actually quite surprised the way how i chose my lineup to this uh, season actually but it is what it is. I managed to be top four, and I'm I'm happy with that because that's my goal. Um, so yeah, so I, I I don't do that. I didn't do that much meta analyze uh, analyzing thing. I knew that Jonas will have his couple decks that I always ban, and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> okay. So for myself, I don't really do a systematic analysis. I don't I don't look through the houses, and I don't like I don't put all the DOK stats into a spreadsheet and do calculations, but I have sort of a f- like I have a feeling, just gut feeling from the games I've played, and I notice trends with my uh, with my instincts or uh, my guts. So I've noticed early on. I noticed that people were not good at using board control into their decks, like I talked about. So I. I made a bet. I made a meta choice against that. Instead, like you said, Simon having decks that made a big board and then used the big board for amber control to stop racing decks, basically. Uh, but later on, I've noticed that at least in the higher divisions, it's uh, uh, people have started packing in a lot more board control. So I have found that I need to adjust my approach, uh, and I've done that by. Well, putting in more board control myself so I can respond to a wipe with a wipe. And also, I'm really afraid of decks with high board control and with a lot of amber. So to counter that, I put in a lot of Infernus this season. which worked Yes, well. that's actually uh, a new uh, deck archetype that me and Amertaka have discussed that we have noticed making a resurgence. Uh, if there is the rush archetype, which just tries to ember out as quickly as possible and often lacks in board control, but you usually has a lot of ember control combined with ember gain, we call it this other one, the crush archetype, okay. which is <laughs> almost no ember control, but a lot of board control, a lot of ember gain. Hmm. So basically keep up constant pressure in ember and then just clean whatever the opponent is trying to play on the board. Um, we have noticed that a lot in international tournament, just the last two qualifiers have had a, quite a few, like a, a small resurgence of it. And uh, also uh, in the TCO, like the Crucible Online meta in general, has uh, has seen a lot of those kind of decks. With 20, if, if you go by the decks of Keyforge stats, they have 28 to 30 expected Ember and then around 20 board control. Low stats in in ember control. 
Yeah. Uh, actually, Amartaka he made the question to he he asked me like Linus, how how are we how are we going to beat this type of uh, deck? Have have you been discussing with that about that more, Saramis? Uh yeah, I um I think that the the like that kind of deck is best countered ironically because Kota has been a bit out of fashion for a while. Yeah. But they are best countered by the st- very steel heavy Kota decks that don't care about the board. There were exactly. a lot of Kota decks early Kota that came out that only had like 11 creatures, 10 creatures, yeah. often with Control the Weak, lots of Steel, and lots yeah. of Ember Pips. Yeah. And uh, and they basically invalidate the whole board control element of these Crush decks. Uh, yeah. Uh, but they've been out of fashion, mostly because of the Infernus decks, I think. Um, I've been saying in the Discord for a while, maybe because I'm a bit frustrated as someone who likes board decks and everyone is playing crush decks, but I've been yeah. saying that uh, this meta of what I like the word you came up with, the crush deck, it has sort of opened up space for the more amber pip, grace, amber steel. Uh, and I think actually the winner of Elite Serien this year, he had lineup which focused a lot on amber rush, amber steel, don't care so much about the board. And yeah. it seems to have, he seems to have, he has had decks in that way for a long time, but it yeah. seems like this time it really paid off for him. The scales have uh, swung back a little bit yeah. and enabled that to to do great. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's a, a good archetype to, to have in mind when people analyze the meta. So I hope it catches on. <laughs> He he hope he hopes it catches on because he has his new lineup coming up and he's like <laughs> no no yes. just just a term the the name crush deck yeah, okay, so, uh... okay 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 <laughs> um, okay I will move on to another subject uh, so the league has been going for over two years now and I'm interested uh, uh, Linus you have been in the league almost since the start uh, yeah, I'm only missed the first season yeah yeah so. Uh, uh, can you talk about if your approach to lineup selection has changed over time? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I'm I'm thinking about it. Um, I can start talking about it if you prefer. No, it's okay. I, I think for me that for me actually, what's what's happened is that I have become more um, attached to certain cards or attached to certain. Th- thematical cards <laughs> like as i mentioned uh, in my first episode uh, i loved uh, i love uh, star alliance and i love the theme in itself and i love uh, upgrades so i kind of started to look through cards through that perspective that does this deck have this one card that i love to have <laughs> so that's kind of like from from trying to have the best deck or you know taking all these ones no i i've actually went in a different approach and I've, I'm trying to see decks that have certain cards that I love to play. So that's kind of the thing that it's changed. I didn't do that early on, but now later uh, I've been kind of having that approach and I'm, I'm enjoying playing it that way and see how far I can I can go with it. So I love picking decks with certain cards that I love to play. Okay, that's very interesting that you're doing so well uh, with that tactic. He buys something. Chinese decks for uh, <laughs> thousands of dollars or something, and <laughs> when they have those cards, well, my budget is uh, can't handle that anymore. So I, I just need to accept I have only three three of those decks. So I need to have three more. <laughs> what to do? <laughs> so, that's why you always end up with three bad decks at the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that's the reason I, I'm always like in the middle of the board, like top four. <laughs> So uh, for me, the first season, I just joined with my five first decks. So I owned seven decks at the time I signed up for the first season, and I just used my five first decks. Uh, And I did quite okay, because the league was actually... The league has gotten so much stronger uh, since I started. Uh, So I can say uh, the deck lineups that won the league of the first season would probably not advance from the lowest division in the current season. Uh, 
it has really we have five divisions so that's saying quite a lot yeah <laughs> so it's really because my my own lineup i ended up in fourth place and my lineup now i wouldn't win a single game like not yeah. with not not even a single individual game i wouldn't be able to forge three keys in any game with that lineup yeah so don't be intimidated anyone who wants to join the <laughs> or the keyforge league no people in division three they say it's parted there so just yep. come and and have a good time really i mean we have also a good time in in elite Serien. it's total silence in the discord channel <laughs> but it's quite interesting because already in season two and season three the winner of that season uh martin who won both those seasons he started a smarter approach and he chose five decks that were very similar. He had five decks with bait and switch. All of them had bait and switch. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, this is before, before, yeah, before the errata. So at that point, basically, you could uh, steal uh, lots of amber with that card. And he also had a lot of free amber pips. So basically, he made the first key and then he played bait and switch and stole three amber or four amber. Okay. So that was a good discussion about uh, lineup selection for the league. Um, and now we will move on to a new segment. I'm very happy to introduce our very own historian um, who will uh, give us the first installment of his own segment, Library of Polyasaurus. Simon. Thank you, thank you. Yes, I take a stand on the Senate floor and we'll be speaking about the history of Keyforge or rather history in Keyforge. So this uh, segment will be about uh, historical references and fun anecdotes about uh, history in uh, Keyforge cards. And uh, there are quite a lot of subtle ones. There are some very obvious ones. Uh, but even they uh, pass unnoticed by those who don't know the reference. So I'm here to educate you. And we will, of course, start with the grandest one of them all. The Saurian card, uh, Beware the Ides. It's a card that deals 23 damage to the center creature of the opponent's battle line. And when you first see this card, it seems oddly specific. Yes, there aren't, <laughs> there aren't any creatures with more than 20 health. Um, no other card even comes close to this level of damage. And its targeting is also very specific. If the opponent does not have a center creature, it doesn't do anything at all, except kill your own if you have one. <laughs> uh, Done that. <laughs> and... Uh, there are certain cards in Keyforge that have the leader trait, and they always activate their abilities if they're in the middle of a lineup. So Beware the Ides seems uh, oddly designed to deal 23 damage to the leader of a faction. And the reason why this is relevant is its historical background. So uh, the Ides, or the Ides of March, is a day in the Roman calendar, in the Roman Empire, and it is known as the date where Julius Caesar was assassinated while he was on the way to the meeting of the Senate. And uh, as we know, the Saurian Republic is, uh, draws heavily inspiration from uh, the Republic of Rome. And Caesar was warned by a seer uh, early on that uh, he needed to be careful on the Ides of March uh, and that uh, something terrible would uh, befall him. And it is said that while Caesar uh, was on his way to the forum, he uh, passed the seer and joked, the Ides of March are come and shrugged his shoulders. The prophecy had no power over Caesar. Uh, but at uh, the theater of Pompeii, on the steps there, he was assassinated by uh, his, the conspirators led by Brutus. And they, of course, stabbed him 23 times, and he fell dead on the steps to this location. 
So we are, uh, in a way, uh, reenacting the murder of Caesar in a card. Uh, only it applies to the Saurian Republic. And this leads us to the next part of the mystery. There is a leader, of course, in the Saurian Republic called Saurus Rex uh, that is depicted in several different images. And uh, it is also the leader, the only leader, that did not move on to the next set in Dark Tidings. Uh, clearly, something must have happened to uh, Saurus Rex on the way there. And uh, we all are wondering who did it, who murdered Xaurus Rex, how did it happen? Uh, we know there was 23 stabs, but uh, the answer to these things are also hidden in the cards of the Saurian Republic. So uh, I'm going to leave you all on the cliffhanger of the murder of Saurus Rex before <laughs> next segment of Library of Polyasaurus, where we will unpack a couple of more cards and their historical reference to find out who did it and in what card are they represented. Thank you, and we're closing the doors to the forum. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love that. I am oh. so... I'm full of suspense for who will be revealed as a murderer. <laughs> so I mean, seriously, shout out to all the card designers in uh, FFG who's been designing these cards and the flavor. It's so much fun. Mm. Uh, this this really gives so much more into the game when we have a Simon who really analyzes all those and can teach us uh, about these cards and give the flavor even deeper meaning. So awesome stuff. Thanks, Simon. It's so fun how the flavor of the card fits with the function of the card that makes yeah, it even more fun they really it's beautiful I it's think one it's... of my favorite cards in the entire game just because it has such a incredibly specific function <laughs> i love like 20 20 kind of makes sense but the three extra like what <laughs> <laughs> yep okay so now we will finish off with a quick update from the league linus i leave it to you to sum up there is for the final results of season 12 of the Nordic Keyforge League. This season has really been fun. It's been, if I look through all the different divisions that we have, there's been a lot of action in many different ways and a lot of like really tight um, situations. So if we start, for example, from uh, division three, so we'll, we'll move from three upwards. We have uh, old user who won that division, and uh, Mitte was there, kind of close. Those two, kind of, we can see that they had they they did quite well. Um, and then we have obviously our good friend, the captain, seems to be seems to be there having party still with the with the other division three players. Good luck to next season, uh, captain. But. Uh, Congratulations to old user Amitte for uh, actually moving up. Uh, however, I know that uh, uh, Simon, no, not Simon, <laughs> sorry, my bad, Jonas Zuzox, he who fixes all this, organizes the whole league, he had actually some ideas of maybe changing the system a little bit. So we don't know exactly how you know the moving up and moving down will exactly go on but i would simply say congratulations to your old, old user for winning division three uh, in division two uh, we had yeah, again two persons that kind of you know stick out from the group uh, in many different ways and those were banana permobile and codbug uh, congratulations for such a successful uh, season for them um and then I think well, I would just simply move on there. Uh, well, actually, I wanted to give a little information here. Banana Permobile and Cordbank, they had like differences uh, with the keys were like 24 and 31. And the next was plus six. So so the next person had plus six. <laughs> I mean, you know, the difference was quite huge. Mm -hmm. So uh, really, really well played from Banana Permobile and Cordbank. Division one. Um, there we can see that we had Algenon uh, doing it quite well, being the lonely uh, wolf there and winning it quite, quite easily. That league with 17 wins and four losses, because the next player had actually 14 wins and seven losses, and that was Amart uh, Amartaka, um, 
um, Zaramis good friend in, in Swindle. Um, congratulations to Algernon R for such a successful uh, season. Uh, it's really interesting to see how you will do in Allsvenskan and so on also to Amartaka who has been climbing slowly and surely upwards. Um, and then we can come to Allsvenskan. And in Allsvenskan uh, we can see that it's really packed. Like if we th look through all eight Okay, we don't count Saramis in this situation, because Saramis did actually super well, uh, 18 wins and 3 losses. Congratulations for such a successful season. It's, that looks like, do that's total domination. <laughs> like, really fun to see. However, it's fun to see that uh, Lord Alatar is, uh, is the second one in this uh, division and um, moving up. However, if we look then, the 3, 4, and especially 5, 6, and 7, it's been it's been really tight. It, like I think this last last uh, round when they're playing, stuff could happen. Uh, people could either stay or drop or even even actually come to Elitserien. So it's been really interesting season for Allsvenskan. Um, always fun to see the tight uh, seasons. And actually, the same thing is also been in Elitserien. I think I don't remember um, that there would ever been. Like this tight, um, actual uh, the whole uh, standing in Elite Serien ever. We had to the last round. We had we had actually three, no, four persons that actually could win the whole Elite Serien. And well, I mean, last round, four players could win. Obviously, I I had the you know lesser better odds on me, but uh, and that was obviously what happened. I, I'm top four. However, then we had uh, Zuzox and Hydra Attack and Stoffe really close to each other and actually Stoffe 97 took the championship this season through key difference uh, so he had 14 wins and 7 losses and Hydra Attack, Jonas uh, our host, he had also 14 wins and 7 losses however the key difference was quite huge and uh, really amazing well played Stoffe, he, he actually played against me in the last round and he managed to climb after my first win and, and win the two last ones quite uh, easily. Um, so super fun to see. We have a new person who wins Elitserien. Um, and it's always fun to see that it's uh, it's not Suzox or Hydra Attack who are my closest rivals. <laughs> <laughs> no, obviously, it's always uh, amazing to see good players win because I think there's, you know, there's a lot of skill here in, in throughout the whole Swedish uh, Nordic League uh, and I I can see as we talked before or during this episode that the, the skill level has also really risen and for example persons like Saramis and Amartaka who really take serious the game and analysis and talk about uh, uh, meta and creates new terms like crush it's super fun to have you guys in in our league because that makes this league much more interesting and, and creates more uh, color and vibe uh, both in discord and in while playing games so super interesting season this season season 12 now it's closed and we are everybody um, all of us are probably excited to the season 13 which will come later we will have a summer vacation now and just take it easy and have a good time that's all that i had to say uh, we should mention that the winner of the cup is Panon Permobil Oh yes, sorry, exactly. Congratulations, uh, Banan Permobil, for your success in the cup. And actually, he managed to also uh, come through the uh, losers bracket, so he really did a comeback. Super fun. He knocked out me. I think he knocked out Jason. Uh, and in the end, he won two games against the people, the person from the winners bracket. So yeah, he he really did well with his deck. Also a kind of racing deck, creature racing deck. Um, okay, so uh, thank you for that, Linus. And uh, I want to uh, uh, mention that the Summer Cup is coming up now that we have a break in the season. Uh, it will start on the 28th of June, so next week. And like always, the format is double elimination. 
the rules for this cup is that you register three decks and they have to contain nine different houses, so no repeated house. And in each round, your opponent picks which of your three decks you will play. Um, and the deadline for registration will be the 20th, 26th of June, so on Saturday, as we record. So you have to hurry up if you want to join. And to join, you register the decks on Dexo Keyforge, you upload proof of ownership images on Dexo Keyforge, and then you send the, the links to the decks to Sysox so he can enter you into the document and organize everything. And that needs to be done again by the 26th. And also. And everyone is welcome to join, is that right? Everyone in the international community is welcome to join the Summer Cup. And then um, also, we want to encourage people who are listening and are enjoying this podcast and thinks that this Nordic League sounds like a fun time. Uh, we will have a summer break now, but after the summer, uh, we will come back strong and we are sort of opening up the league for not just Swedish players and Nordic players. So everyone, especially in North of Europe or that fits into this this time zone that we have, uh, are very welcome to join and join in the fun. It's so much fun. So I'm hoping we have already seen some new players trickle in and hopefully we will, we will see more. But yeah. Definitely take advantage of this opportunity if you think it sounds like a good time. Uh, as me and Linus, who have played in this league for a long time, and also Simon, can say, this is a really good time. <laughs> a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Okay, I think that was all we had for this week's episode. Uh, Linus, do you want to take us out? Yes. All right, thank you for listening, and it's been a pleasure for us. We had a good time here discussing about the deck selections, and uh, I mean, this was a blast. Thank you, Simon, by the way. First time hearing your voice and first time seeing your face. Super fun. Um, and I mean, if you liked what you heard, please give us a subscribe and give us a follow so that you won't simply mix, uh, miss the next episode, right? You can also visit our, our website, which is nkfl.online and you will see there the league and have more information about that and also the link to our podcast. So until then, thank you from Mr. K-Pop. And thank you from Hydrophilic Attack. Knowledge is power. And from the Zarms. See everybody!